Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Come on, my soul. You ever have to have that pep talk with yourself? Come on, my soul. Get up. Sometimes I call myself Buttercup. I do. If I get to complaining on the inside, I say, come on now, Buttercup. Let's go. Uh, God's been too good to you, right? You ever have to tell yourself that? You might try that. It works. You know, a little tough talk with yourself. It's okay. Uh, if you have your Bible time, I encourage you to join me in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter number 3. Anybody glad to be here? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, Ryan, I'm saying by the, the volume of that praise, I think they're glad to be here. Uh, how many of you can say that? When you think about your life, where you are today, where you've been, things that you've done, you're amazed that God has brought you as far as he's brought you. Anybody like me that say that tonight? Hallelujah. Oh, he's brought me so far. And you know what I know about him? He is not through yet. All right. So Philippians chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse number 17. And we're going to cover verse 17 down to verse, well, chapter 4, verse number 1. Okay. Chapter 4, verse number 1. The letter was written by a man by the name of Paul, also known as Saul, right? Saul being his Hebrew name, Paul being his Roman name. And as he's recorded this letter, he's written this letter, he's written it about encouraging the people of God. And in the uh, parts of chapter 3 leading up to where we're going to be today, he has one of my favorite passages in all the Word of God and a very fun one to preach. Is verse 12 to verse 16 where Paul says, hey, I'm not writing this letter to you to tell you that I am perfect, that I have attained, that I have everything I'm preaching and teaching to you, uh, that I am perfect in every way and, and, and the instruction that I'm giving you, but nevertheless, I'm giving you the instruction. And here's what he says. He said, I'm forgetting the past, okay, and I'm pressing on. Y'all know that passage. He says, I'm forgetting the past and I'm pressing on, right, toward the goal of the upward call uh, for the prize in Christ Jesus. And so, man, you talk about a, a man who in those verses, has told the audience that he's writing to that his life is not perfect. He's not a perfect man. But what he does, he doesn't spend time hanging out in yesterday. Now listen, not in his defeats, okay? Because sometimes you're going to face some defeats, right? Temporary. I'm not talking about like eternally, but maybe in a battle with sin. Maybe in a battle with the wrong attitude. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You Sometimes you face defeats along the way, and that's yesterday. So we're not going to wallow in those, whether they're failures of our own or others that we've suffered because of. And, and we're not going to live in yesterday in our victories for yesterday. Because yesterday's over. And if we say, man, I led somebody to Jesus yesterday, and I'm going to live in that the rest of my life, I'll never lead anybody to Jesus ever again. So Paul said, I don't live in the past. Now, it's not just the mistakes of the past, but it's also the victories of the past, okay? And he says, what I do is I'm pressing on. There's this idea of um, praying and pressing and being consistent and asking God to give him what he needs to keep going, keep going. Because truth of the matter is, some days we feel like quitting. And we need to be reminded that Paul said, I'm, this is how I'm living my life. When God wakes me, I'm going to paraphrase here and sort of sum up those verses. When I wake up in the morning... I don't think about all that happened yesterday. I may glance in the rearview mirror, okay, learn some lessons from yesterday, but I'm living today. I can't live yet. Come on, somebody, listen. You can't relive yesterday. And so I'm living today 
fully surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. I'm going to start my day in his presence, and then I'm going to shoot out like a rocket wherever he sends me, right? Where you punch the clock or wherever you go in, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask God to show me what does he want me to do today for the glory of his name. And then when I put my head to sleep, uh, lay down on my pillow and go to sleep, if I wake up here again, I'm going to do the same thing again. I'm going to wake up, spend a little time at the feet of Jesus, refocus at the foot of the cross, be reminded that there is a prize, there's a goal. I'm pressing on, glancing back there, remembering from yesterday some good things, some bad things, but I'm pressing on. And then when I go to sleep, if he gives me the next day, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up, and I'm going to do it again. And someone said to me one time, hey, this, would you come and teach us? Uh, we want you to put together a conference on leadership. I said, I, I'm not that smart. And they said, no, 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 I mean, we're, we've been looking, we've been watching, and, and, you know, and you need to come and do it. And I said, I don't have enough material to do a conference on leadership. They said, well, what do you, can you just tell us some principles? I said, yeah, one, when you wake up in the morning, spend some time defeated Jesus. Ask him for his will, and then shoot out like a rocket, and live that day. And when you, if you go to sleep, and, he, and you don't die, you know, because if you die, you're going to wake up in his presence, and your work here is done. But if you get another day, do the same thing. And then if you wake up the next day, do the same thing. What will happen is, you'll string together a lifetime of focusing on the Lord Jesus and living for the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. That sounds like a way to live, doesn't it? It's not that difficult. It really isn't that difficult. Hey, if it was, I certainly couldn't have figured it out. All right? The Lord has definitely shown me simple patterns. So Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. And we're going to move from now. Now, the reason I shared with you those verses leading up is very important. Because what he's going to teach in these next verses, okay, verse 17 to chapter 4, verse 1, is going to come back and touch on what he just said, okay? So, uh, he's going to talk about this way of living. What way of living? Focused on the goal, not on the past, living today for the glory of God. Does that make sense? You're going to have to keep pulling that up in your mind over and over as we go through the passage, all right? Picking up in verse number 17. Brethren, join in following my example. See, what was the example? I told you you got to pull it back out of your mind. That I'm going to live each day. Come on. Surrender to the will of God, right? Going for the prize. All right, that's the example. Brethren, join in following my example. In other words, he's telling them, you do the same thing. You, every day when you wake up, don't live in the past. Live today for the glory of God, all right? And join in following my example. And note those who walk as you have us for a, say the word with me, a pattern. For many walk of who I told you often, and now I'm telling you even weeping. So you see Paul as he's writing this letter, probably by an old burning lamp, and he's weeping. Can you see the tears uh, falling on the papyri as he's dipping his pen in the quill and ink, and he's writing this letter out, and he said, I've told you before about them, and now I'm telling you again, and I'm, I'm crying. I'm weeping just thinking about it. Okay, what is it? That they are the enemies, you're reading with me, of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue, which things? All things to himself. Therefore... My beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown. You think he loves them? Oh, he says, my beloved. That's a family term, my beloved. My joy and crown. What he's saying is, my joy is to minister to you, and I consider you as the great reward. Crown, the reward of my race. Wow. My joy and crown. Listen to the instruction. So stand fast in the Lord. And he calls them again. Y'all help me. Beloved. beloved. He tells them again, remember, you're, my, you're so dear to me. 
Okay? So let's bow for just a moment and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts tonight. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? And would you just ask the Lord to speak to you personally, individually, that he would block any distraction from you? Would you just pray that where you're at? Uh, that God would help us not being getting up and getting down unless we just absolutely have to. And Lord, I pray tonight that you'd help my voice, you'd help my body. Uh, Lord, you would just right now, as you so often do, overwhelm my faculties, every part of my humanity, Lord. And would you let your spirit shine brightly by preaching this message in such a way that everybody in the room and everybody who will ever hear it will understand, comprehend, and make application. Now, Lord, as you help somebody like me do something like that, I pray it be on display that you can use anybody, anywhere, anytime. You're a great, magnificent God. And Lord, as you do that, would you also tune my ears to hear? Because not only am I the chosen vessel to deliver the message, I am as needy as anybody that will ever hear it to hear this message and make application in my own life. So tune our ears to hear your still small voice. Lord, would you chase the birds away? You, you said that the, oftentimes the good seed is planted and the birds are waiting to steal that seed away so that it doesn't get down in our heart and produce fruit. So please, Lord, chase the birds away. Let our hearts be fertile soil. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And the people of God said together, amen. amen, amen. Thank you for praying with me. Thank you for praying with me. Let's rewind back to the beginning here and look in verse number 17, okay? Now, the title of our message is Hold Your Ground. Hold Your Ground. All that I talked about in verse 17, uh, chapter 3, verse 17, all the way through chapter 4, verse 1, deals with holding your ground. I'm going to show you that as we get to the end, okay? The title of the message is Hold Your Ground. The main idea of the message is Hold Your Ground, all right? That'd be easy to remember, won't it? So if somebody asked you tomorrow, hey, what did you do last night? Man, I went to church. What? Wednesday night? What's wrong with you? Y'all have church on Wednesday night? Hallelujah. Yes, we do. There are people everywhere, man. And we worship the Lord, and we just distance ourselves from our daily lives, and we got back squared up with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I learned that. I need to hold my ground. I need to hold my ground. Now, let me say to you that there are uh, constantly forces that are trying to push you off of the ground that you're supposed to be holding. Now, when I tell you tonight that you're supposed to hold ground, when Paul told the church at Philippi they need to hold ground, he's not talking about taking two handfuls of dirt and holding ground. He's talking about having your feet planted firmly with a good wide base. That's what our office of line coach at MC used to say. And such a manner that if someone is to push against you from any direction, you're able to maintain the plot of ground that you are occupying. Okay? Now let's clarify. What is the plot of ground that we're occupying as the children of God? All right? I'll give you just a few. There's a lot, but let me just give you a few. Number one, I'm, I'm occupying the plot of ground called forgiven. I'm forgiven. Y'all tracking with me? But the enemy's constantly pushing against me to make me feel like I'm not forgiven, that I'm guilty, that I should be ashamed, that I should uh, uh, keep my mouth shut. And so he's pushing that way. I'm, I'm standing on the plot of ground that would be defined as holiness, okay? Now remember, holy is not just good and excellent. It's, it's above everything, okay? And it's, it's set apart. It's different. And so I'm, I'm holding now. Somebody said, well, yeah, I, I receive holiness from Jesus. I receive righteousness from Jesus. Yes, that's called imputed righteousness. Imputed is a fancy word that means taken off of one account and put on another. And that's absolutely right. But that doesn't mean that I live my life unholy because God has given me holiness through Jesus. Okay? What it means then is imputed righteousness, his account placed on mine, is then therefore lived out in practiced right, uh, righteousness. Y'all tracking with me? So I don't just say I'm holy because Jesus made me holy. I say I'm holy because Jesus made me holy. And I'm also living holy. And this is the ground I'm standing in. But there's constant pressure pushing you off to say, hey, just compromise. 
Don't aim holy. Don't aim holy. Because listen, if you aim holy, people are going to see you like a bright light in a very dark backdrop. And they're going to say, what is wrong with you? You're going to say, Jesus, it's Jesus' fault. He changed everything about me. It's the reason I'm different. And so the enemy is always trying to push you off that plot of ground to compromise with your music, with your eating, with your substances, with your relationships, with your mouth. Every part of your life, he's trying to push you off that ground. Y'all tracking with me? And so it's, and I could go on and on and on. And Paul is saying to them, in Jesus Christ, you've got to, come on, y'all say it with me. Hold your ground. By the way, Jesus purchased that ground for you. Woo! It was bought with blood. How about that? And so the place that I stand, I stand here by grace. And it was purchased with blood that I'm able to stand in this place. And so I dare not be pushed away by lies and temptation of the enemy to for, listen to forfeit the plot of ground that Jesus purchased for me. Wow, all right? So now let's dive into the message. That just sort of primes our heart. It helps us understand why Paul is so passionate about them holding their ground. Why it's so important for you to hold your ground. By the way, there have been days in my life when I didn't hold my ground. Anybody else? Uh, And and in, in those times, relationships were damaged. And in those times, I made stupid decisions. I know y'all probably never did anything stupid. But, but in those times when I got moved into fear, when I got moved into shame and guilt, when I got pushed off as the enemy pushes me off that plot of ground, then I've, I've, I've thought wrong, I've done wrong. Y'all, y'all, anybody tracking with me? And so that's why he's so passionate. He loves them. They're his beloved. There's family. And he wants them to stay in that plot of ground that Jesus bought for them. Okay? All right, have I developed that enough? Can I move on? All right, here we go. In your notes there, let's talk a little bit about holding your ground. Number one, and what Paul's instruction to them from verse number 17 is going to be, Roman number one, Philippians 3, 17. Here's what his instruction was. And I'm going to take and bring it into application for me and you, okay? Then we'll talk about it. Here's what I want you to write. We should find good patterns. Okay, oh, by the way, did everybody get an outline? See, I got started, fired out like a cannon, and I know probably they were standing back there waving them outlines. I was just keeping on tracking. So if you didn't get one, would you hold your hand up? We'll make sure that you get one. Just hold your hand up. They'll come get me one right down here, Quincy, down front, and some over here to my left. There's a couple. Anybody over here can hand out some, or is it just Quincy? All right, we need some over that way. If you have, don't have one, hold your hand up, okay? So listen, number one, we should find good patterns. Now, if you have your outline, put this in the blank. We should find good patterns to follow. Good patterns to follow. All right, so let me just sort of read along here, verse 17. Brethren, join in following, okay, uh, my example. Do you hear Paul there saying to them, um, I've just explained my example, and now I'm, I'm urging you to follow this example. What's the example? Living each day, uh, forgetting the past, pressing on toward the goal, right? Uh, focused on the will of God today, one day at a time. And he says, I've given you, I've lived that pattern, and I've given that pattern for you to follow my example, okay? Now, let's talk for just a minute about we should follow, find good patterns to follow. Wouldn't you agree with me that following requires, here's a great, great um, requirement for following. It requires humility, right? You ever have somebody try to tell you what to do, and you don't think they knew what they're talking about? And how'd you feel about that? Huh? Some of y'all got vocal, didn't you? Come on, some of y'all got vocal. I got vocal in the past. You, man, you don't know what you're talking about. Give me that shovel. You never had, had an asphalt rake before. Give me that thing. And so, you, you know, you, sometimes you, you deal with people, you think they don't know what they're talking about. But you have to understand this is instruction from the living God, from the Holy Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul. 
And he says what you and I ought to do is we ought to find people that are a good pattern of living that goal of the pressing on, leaving the past behind. We ought to find people who are living that way and begin to adopt the way that they are living. Isn't that cool? Now, here's what happens. We say, well, they're just mere men and they're just mere women. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. But there are a, a group of people who are maturing in their faith, who are leaving the past behind, and their lives are beginning to look more like this pattern. Then when they get up, they have hard days. They don't have bad days, but they keep pressing on. Why? Because they know there's a goal out there, right? And the goal is to glorify God today until my time is up. And today may be my last day, so I'm going to press on. And I'll just tell you, there's only just a... Let me just ask you a question. How many people do you know? Now, don't answer this out loud. How many people do you know that are living that example right now? In your, now, I'm talking about in your circle of influence. So, uh, what's the pattern of the will of God? Well, one thing we know for certain is the will of God for every born-again believer is found in Matthew chapter 28. Y'all better wake up out there. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. And what we, so we don't have to buy 12 books on what's the will of God for my life. It's, it, we've already found it. And the will of God for your life, now stop searching, just start living it, okay? What is it? To go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Not just baptizing them, not just evangelizing them, but teaching them, Jesus said, all things that I've commanded you. And it's not have to be your strength, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we know, we don't, listen, put to rest all that time you're wasting thinking about what the will of God is. It's to make disciples, okay? So, let's just take that one characteristic, all right? And I'm going to ask you, how many people in your life, in your circle of influence, do you know that are actively making disciples? That are taking their life, they're investing a t- time with another person, one-on-one, showing them what Christ has taught them, okay? Now, what happens is, I'm, my question is, I'm going to start with 10, because that's a low number. And I'm going to, look at that look right there. You see that look right there? Y'all know what that look means? Uh-huh, come on, come on. You don't have to say it because you, know, you don't want your neighbors to hear you and your family around you to hear you. But I know what that look means. You don't know 10. You don't know 10 people right now that are actively discipling somebody. 10 people in your circle of influence. You don't know them. 10 people who stay in prayer. 10 people who when they mess up, they are humble and they repent. 10 people who serve the Lord with gladness. 10 people who say, Jesus above myself. 10 people who say, others above me. Ten people who say, you know what, I can't do that because I have this personal relationship with Jesus. I've got to stay away from that. Ten, just, ten, just ten people. So let's go down to five. You know five? You know five people personally that are actively pouring their lives into others and making disciples, sharing the Lord Jesus Christ as they go about their day. Soul winners, you know. Sadly, we're probably having to go down to four or three or two Now, let me just flip the question, okay? Because I'm just assuming that just by the look on your face, that uncomfortable look on your face, is that you don't know a whole lot of people that are doing that. And the question I would be, ask you is, who have you determined walks with God? And the next question I would say, and I answered it already, what are some characteristics? There's some questions there in your notes. What are some characteristics of someone who follows Jesus? Well, I just told you that. So you can write down there, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. You can go ahead and write that in. And you can begin to just talk about some things. They're going to be humble. They're going to be, not that they're going to be perfect, but when they mess up, they're going to get back up again. Uh, they're going to, you follow with them, they're going to spend time in the Word of God every day. They're going to spend time in prayer, talking and listening to God in prayer. Uh, they're going to be sharing Jesus with people. There's some of the characteristics of those who follow Jesus because Jesus said if you follow me I'll make you fishers of men I've said to you many times before if I'm not fishing I'm not following okay now 
next question I want you to think about. We should find good patterns to follow. We ought to be on the search. Now, I need you to understand something here. Uh, this, this taking, here's what Paul said. I've given you this pattern that you would follow my example. Okay? I've given you, I've lived this way so you follow my example. And then he says, I want you to note people who are living the same way. Because they're also a pattern for you. Now, you know what it means to note somebody? Does that mean that you're going to write a sticky note and go over and stick it on Dustin's forehead? No. It means that you're going to make a judgment call. And you're going to watch their life when they face hardship. Do they crumble? Do they run? Do they... You're going to watch them when, when it's time to wake up in the morning. What's the first thing that they do when you're maybe together on the weekend or you're on a fishing trip? Or, and you're going to... So what's, here's the thing. You ready? Because I want to say to you tonight, as the voice of God in your life, I want to say to you, the world is telling you don't judge people. I'm telling you, you've got to make some judgment calls in your life. How can I take note of somebody who is and isn't if I don't make some judgment calls? Are y'all tracking with me? So we've let the culture tell us, don't judge, don't judge. Because Jesus said, judge not least you be judged. And we're scared to death of that. And what we don't understand is that it's a judgment under condemnation. Right? I don't point my finger at you and tell you the worst thing that ever happened because this has happened in your life. And you're worse and you're terrible and you're going to hell just because that's condemnation. But the Word of God says, I'm supposed to. Here's what Paul said later on. He said, we judge those inside the church. Let God judge those outside the church. Is he talking about judging so we point finger? No. Inside the church, he's talking about saved folks. So we're not judging whether or not they're going to heaven or not. We're judging whether or not they're living their testimony. If they're living their confession. Now, do we do this so we can talk about them behind closed doors and slander them and gossip about them? Heavens, no. That, makes, that, that, that grieves the Spirit of God. But we make judgment calls because we've got to decide who among us is worth patterning our lives after. That's what he's telling them. You've got to take note. What does that mean? I've got to watch. I've got to make mental notes. By the way, you don't know it, but you're always taking mental notes of people. And what he's saying is, take some mental notes and note the ones who really are talking about Jesus and investing their lives making disciples. And when you find them, and by the way, they're rare, pattern your life after them. I was telling somebody in my office this week that was younger than me, and they said, I was talking about this verse, and, and I said, I see things in your life. And they looked at me all crazy, you know, and I said, yeah, I see things in your life that, that are sometimes not in my life that, that are, I know are, are, are of Jesus. They're like Jesus. And so as I'm watching you, and you don't even know that I'm watching you, I'm making note, and I'm saying, that, that needs to be in my life. That needs to be in my life. So I'm t- I need to pattern my life. You say, you, you, the person said, you're the preacher. You pattern. I'm just a, yeah, that's just a, uh, the role God's given me. I'm still a, a, a child of God. I'm still just like you. I'm progressing in the faith. And I need to be no- taking note and finding things in your life that I can apply in my life and pattern after Jesus. Remember those things that point back to him that are like him, okay? So I'm trying to move on, y'all. All right, question is, do I strive to follow their example? All right, the next thing is, is my, now I'm going to turn it a little bit and talk for a minute about this next question. All those questions are in your notes, aren't they? The next little question is, is my, not a little question, <laughs> watch this, is my life worth following? So I, I, I don't need to just, we're going to go to the principle where Jesus said, if you have a log in your eye, you don't need to address the, right, the little splinter in your brother's eye. But Jesus did not say, ignore the splinter in your brother's eye. That's not what he said. What Jesus said was deal with the log in your eye so that you can help your brother with the splinter in his eye. See, we've messed that all up. We've let culture teach us the Bible, and it's wrong. So we want to uh, know those who are, but we also, listen, people ought to be able to watch you and say, you know what? 
I'm watching Marie. I'm, I see some things in her life look like Jesus. I see Bo. I'm watching Bo at work, and I'm taking some mental notes. And that dude's different, man. And I notice how he deals with people and talks to people. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, that looks like Jesus. I'm going to start patterning. My, I'm going to start talking to people kindly. You see? And that's how it's supposed to work. So the question is, am, is my life worth following? Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1. All ones. You notice that? 1 Corinthians 11, 1. What does it say? Is it in your notes? Yes. Read it with me. Imitate me. Just as I also, oh mercy, that's big words, isn't it? You imagine going to your friends and telling them, now listen, you just do what I do and you'll be imitating Jesus. Now here's a question, just some questions for thought. These are things I've wrestled with this week. If everybody prayed like I prayed, how much would happen? How much change would be implemented? How much of the will of God would come through prayer? How about this? If everybody discipled like you disciple, how many disciples would be made? If everybody shared Jesus the way you shared Jesus, how many people would be saved? Listen, some of us in here, if, if people began to make disciples and share Jesus like you do, it'd stop and the rest of humanity would go to hell. So we had to sometimes pause in the middle of the week, right? And consider, hey, you know what? If Paul is saying we ought to find people that I see Jesus in and, my, and pattern my life, I also ought to want to be that pattern, for somebody, right? I ought to care about you enough that I want you to see Jesus in me, not to pat me on the back and say, boy, you look like Jesus, but instead for you to say, mm, there's something, I, he handled that a little different than, 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 than most people that look like Jesus. I want to put that into my life and start doing that myself, you see? All right, let me move on. Uh, so Roman number one, we should find good patterns too. Y'all help me? Number two, we should know many are actually enemies. Many are actually what? Enemies. Verse 18 and 19. Write that in your notes there. We should know that many are actually enemies. Now, let's remember the context. He's writing to a group of people. Now remember, when they would receive the letter, they would break the seal, they would unroll that scroll, that letter. It wouldn't be like a letter on notebook paper folded up in an envelope, you understand? It'd be a scroll, they'd unroll it, break the seal, they'd unroll the scroll. And they began to read the letter that the Holy Spirit wrote through Paul. And they're reading, okay, here's what Paul sent to us. He just told us he's living his life this way. He's, he's forgetting the past, he's pressing on for the goal. Each day he's just going to live for the goal of the we're calling Christ Jesus. That means to glorify God by making disciples, right? Uh, and so that's what he's doing every day. And then he says, hey, I've given you that example so you follow that pattern. But also note other people because Paul's not always around. Paul's just one guy. Know people in your gathering who are like that and, and follow their pattern. They're a pattern for you. And then he says, but, but, look in verse number 18 with me. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. It breaks Paul's heart. He's not excited to point this out. He's not boasting in the fact that people who masquerade as the church sometimes are really the enemies of God. We had a message not too long ago about the wheat and tares. Anybody remember that? Slip your hand up if you remember that message. They grow right up beside each other. You can't tell anything. They're part of the church. They're part of the world. They're out there and you can't tell them apart until it's time to produce fruit. The harvest time. Right? And so he's saying, hey, I need you all to understand. Don't just listen to what. Basically, here's what he's saying. Don't just pattern your life after anybody. Because there are, those, there, there are those that are walking with Jesus and you should pattern your life after those. But you need to know that many, many, many of them are actually, read with me. Can we read it together? Let me read more often and not tell you this weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now you say, where do you get many? Go back to the first part of verse 18. Second word, what is it for? Many. Many. What he's saying, you've got to open your eyes up. Not everybody who says they're Christians is a Christian. 
You've got to open your eyes up. Not everybody who says they're a preacher is a preacher, anointed of God. You've got to open your eyes up, okay? And, and popular opinion is not where we learn truth. It is, the, in fact, the Word of God. And so he said, I need you guys to wake up and understand that some of them, and I love this because he doesn't say that some of them are just good old boys and not Christians. That's not what he calls them. He says, many of them are enemies, but not just any enemies, because it'd be one thing to, for Paul to say, hey, they're just, they're your enemies. No, no, no. He said, they're enemies specifically of something. The cross of Jesus Christ. Now, it is at the cross where the penalty was paid that you and I owed. Now, when I say you and I, I'm talking about all of humanity. Every sinful thought and deed and action and inaction that you and I would ever commit was placed upon the Lord Jesus when he died on the cross. It's why he was whipped. It was the wrath of God being poured out on the Son of God so that you and I could become the children of God and be accepted and forgiven in the Beloved. He was beaten and nailed to a cross and spit upon, crown of thorns mashed on his head. Why? Because God was dealing with sin. He doesn't deal with us according to our sin. He dealt with Jesus according to our sin. All right? Now, the problem with this, and we talk about the enemies of the cross, is that there were some among them and the churches that would say to them, hey, you can say Jesus if you want, but you still got to be circumcised, or you still have to go back to the old covenant system. You still have to have animal sacrifices. You still have to have the old covenant high priests. And that is an enemy of the cross of Christ. If you add anything to your salvation apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, it is an enemy. It's an offense to God. Because what we're trying to do is say, here, take my filthy rags. This is kind of the same as Jesus dying for me. Oh, mercy. So he said they're enemies of the cross. But also the cross is a place where a person goes to die. And if you think about it, not many of us really enjoy dying to ourselves. It's a painful process, isn't it? You know, I think when I was little and I heard that concept for the first time, I thought, well, I did that when I invited Jesus to be Lord. And that's true. But then I didn't know yet until I grew a little bit in the faith study. The Bible this morning, Paul said, I die daily. And I began to learn that it's a little more, it's not just a one-time thing, amen? There's a daily dying that has to happen. And the daily dying oftentimes happens at the foot of Jesus in the Word in the morning, but it also happens sometimes in the moment of temptation, where you and I get to choose. Am I going to let the pain of this want to take me back to the drug, take me back to the pornography, take me back to uh, the relationship that doesn't honor my husband, my wife, take me back to, y'all with me? Am I going to let it take me back to that because it's comfortable? Or am I going to right now say, Lord Jesus, help me die to myself and let me live your will right now in this moment? So those that don't, those that say, don't worry about it, there's an opposite side. So there's one group that would say, you've got to add to Jesus these laws. Man, that's, no. But there's another group that will go on the other end of the spectrum and say, hey, Jesus died for you. Don't worry about dying to yourself. Just compromise. Do whatever you want to do. Jesus died for you. You're going to heaven. You got your ticket, right? You already said the prayer. And so they are identified not as people or good old boys and girls. They're identified as enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ because the cross of Christ says we need nothing more than Jesus death and resurrection but it also tells us that we must come also daily and die so we move on all right we should know many who are, are actually what do you call them enemies all right now how is it going to end up for them look in verse 19 who's in now we're going to take verse 19 and we're going to answer three uh, individual, or four actually, individual blanks from verse number 19. That okay with y'all? Good, here we go. First question we're going to ask ourselves is, how is it going to end up for them? For those people who blend in, who go to church, who fit in, who look the part, 
but whose lives are never really surrendered to Jesus, who even encourage other people, don't worry about how you live. Don't worry about living for Jesus today. Live for yourself. You're planning for your retirement. You've got things you want to see and things you want to do in this life. And so go and hunt and see and visit and just spend your life on you. And they're enemies of the cross of Christ. And their end is destruction. That's what he says in verse number 19. Whose end is destruction. So obviously Paul is making it very clear they don't want to be a part of that group, right? Y'all can laugh with me. Come on, right? We don't want to be a part of that group. Uh, I don't want to sign up for the group that, hey, we got some groups here. One group's uh, their end is joy and blessing and, and heaven and, and right relationship with God. And this group over here, you can join this group. And their, their group, this is, their end result is destruction. No, thank you. No, thank you. So destruction. All right, second question. Right there, it's already in your notes there. Uh, read it with me. How can, I, how can we? In other words, what are the birthmarks? Of the enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm glad you asked that. We're about to answer it. Okay. Don't you think it's important for us to know that? Well, why would it be important for us to know what are the birthmarks, the identifying marks of, a, of an enemy of the cross of Christ? Well, number one, we don't want to pattern our life after him. Okay. Number two, we don't want to be one. So not only are we looking at birthmarks in other people's lives, but also we're checking to see if those birthmarks might, uh-oh. Anybody out there? Seeing if those birthmarks might also be in my life, okay? So here they are, number one. How can we identify them? Their end is destruction. How do we know who they are? Read with me verse 19. Whose end is destruction. You guys could feel this out without me, I'm certain. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. Now, uh, that doesn't mean that they, they uh, there used to be a wrestler when I was a kid called uh, um, Kamala the Ugandan Giant. Y'all, anybody remember him? He had a big moon on his on his belly. And I don't mean he painted, you paint on there and worship your belly. That's not what he's talking about. And he's not just talking, somebody told me one time, well, that God is their belly. That means people that overeat. Well, they fit the category, but that's not what he's referencing. They fit into that category. But what he's saying is that word for belly is the, is the Greek word for appetite, desire, want to. It's the uh, third step of the pattern of sin. Did y'all learn that Sunday? Lingering look, right? What's next? Desire. I said third. It's actually second. Next is desire. Desire is painful. It's where we get tripped up. We end up taking action. And after we take the action and take the bait, we end up living deceived, right? So when we think about the context of this, listen to what he's saying. He says their God is their belly. Here's what I want you to write in the blanks. They live life according to their own will. They don't consult God before they make purchases. They don't consult God about how to do their finances. They don't consult God on who they marry. They don't consult God about how to run their business. They don't consult God about what music they should listen to. They don't consult God about what they watch. They don't consult God about what they do in their free time. They don't consult God about how they should love their wife. They don't consult God about how they should love their husband. They don't consult God how they should parent their children. They don't cons- Is anybody listening to anything I'm saying tonight? They just don't consult God. They just say, this feels right, so I'm going to do it. Boy, sound like anybody you know? The birthmark of an enemy of the cross of Christ. Somebody said, man, that's kind of stern words. Jesus said it like this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? So these enemies of the cross... They live their own will. They don't care about the will of God. It's the opposite of the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is sweating great drops of blood and he prays to the Father and he says, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Model there for me and you. So they're identified, number one, but they live life according to their own will. All right? 
Now, my question for you is, whose will are you living? When Saturday night rolls around, whose will, whose will do you live on Sunday? Do you disregard Hebrews 10.25 that says, don't forsake the gathering? Whose will are you living when it comes time to be kind and when people mistreat you? And whose will are you living? Oh, I'm going to go back to that Matthew 28, 19, and 20 again. And whose will are you living in the area of discipleship? I'm afraid more people than we care to admit are living their own will in the area of making disciples rather than the will of God. Now, that's not time to look down at the carpet and get beat down. Man, get up, buttercup. Amen. I'm going to say that to y'all since I say it to me, all right? It's time to get up and stop wallowing in it and feeling bad about it. This isn't, we didn't come here to keep stirring your emotions. I came to preach the truth that your life would be transformed. And I'm praying that you're going to go out of here today and say, hey, you know, whoa, I, I should have had a V8. And now I understand. And I have the truth now. And let me go make, let me go, Lord, show me how to make disciples. I pray the office phone is ringing off the hook tomorrow because we'll help you with that. It's very simple. They live life according to their own will. Next characteristic, all right? Next identifying mark. Next birthmark. Number one, they live according to their own will. Number two, they boast in what is actually shameful. Do y'all see that? They boast in what is actually shameful. Where did I get that? Verse number 19. What does he say there? Whose glory, that means they're bragging in something, is actually their what? Shame. So, uh, just to put it another way, they boast in what is actually shameful. Do you know anybody like that? Have you ever known anybody like that? Have you ever been that person? I fit all three of those categories. What sort of things do you hear people brag about that, that we should really be ashamed of? Can you think of anything? I drank this many beers. Anybody ever done that? Now, don't raise your hand. I'll just say that I've said that before. I've heard people say, I've slept with this many women. We ought to be ashamed of that, but bragging about it. Um, any other things you can think of? Uh, when I was going to Mississippi College, on Monday nights, we would go to Sunday's Barbecue there in Clinton. Now, this has been a long time ago. And all the whole offensive line would go, and we would, they had all you can eat, and we'd run two waitresses half to death. And we would have a competition to see who could eat the most. And I can remember a guy, I won't say his name, bragging about the fact that he ate 69 ribs. Now, some of y'all are impressed by that, but listen, bragging in what y'all to be ashamed of. God hates gluttony. And we laugh about it, you know. Y'all track it? Anybody track it with me? Uh, I, w- I want you to think about the more common, because some of us are like, well, I've not bragged about those things, but you know what we do often brag about? Let me tell you about how much land I've got. And, and I say, oh, that's awesome, man. And you say, well, is they should be ashamed of that. No, no, no. But, but what are you doing with it for the glory of God? How are you using it to reach people for Jesus? How is that which he gave you, which when you die is going to be passed on, and when they die is going to be passed on, how are you, the time that God gave you, you're not owning it, you just steward it. In your time of stewardship, how are you using it to build the kingdom? I got this four-wheeler and that four-wheeler and a, and, a, and, a, and a safe full of guns. Some of us ought to be ashamed of what we spent on guns compared to what we've invested in the kingdom. And we'll brag about it. You know, we'll brag about it. So he says, identifying mark of an enemy of the cross of Christ is that they live their life according to their will. Number two, they boast in what they actually should be, is, should be shameful. All right? Then number, and, and number three, they only think about, okay, verse 19, they only think about here and now. Here and now. Now, where did I get that? By the way, you realize this is in the book of Terry because some of you are looking angry with me. I'm reading this right out of the word of God, right? You say, man, I can't believe that I'm actually fitting into the category. My, some of us right now are having the stark realization that our life looks more like an enemy, of a child of, uh, an enemy of the cross of Christ than a child of God. 
Think about this for a minute, okay? Verse 19. Who set their minds on, y'all help me, earthly things. Their whole focus is here now. How much money can I make? How can I fix retirement? How can I plan for later? And listen, planning is not bad. Retirement is not bad. But when it consumes all your thought and it consumes what you're doing and it limits what you do for the kingdom and for the glory of God, it is, in fact, in the way. It's the wrong priority. They only think about here and now. This would, this would, let me just give you an illustration. This would be the mark of their life. When their family gets up to give their eulogy, all they'll be able to say is they love the outdoors. And there won't be any kingdom business discussed that day. And that's what their life looks like. Only think about here and now. I've been guilty of it. You've been guilty of it. Number three and finally, Roman number three. We should, all right, we should hold our ground. We got to hurry, y'all. We're about out of time. We should hold our ground because we are only, y'all can guess that one? Passing through, right? Because we're only passing through here. So don't be moved by temporary things. Don't be moved by temporary pleasure. Anybody out there? Don't be moved by temporary failure. Uh Uh-oh. Don't be moved by those things. Don't be moved by temporary cultural ideas. Hold your ground. Hold your ground. Why? All right? I'm going to give you three reasons why we should hold our ground, okay? Number one, verse 20, we are not citizens here. Now you say, wait a minute, my citizen, I'm a citizen of Rankin County, I'm a citizen of whatever city or Madison County or whatever, where you're from, and I want to say to you, if that's where you put all your stock, then your mind is on earthly things. Here's what he says in verse number, y'all reading with me, verse number 20? For, now for means because, because our, help me somebody, citizenship is in heaven. I thank God I belong to a city that will never have to be repainted. Some of y'all hate to paint, don't you? I actually like to paint. I actually use this illustration more. I'm thankful I belong to a city that will never have to be repaved. They'll never have to pressure wash it. They'll never have to worry about the value of it and wonder if there's the right space, if it has to be rebuilt or expanded on or it's perfect and will be forevermore. And that's where my citizenship is. And that's where, if you've been born again, it's where your citizenship is. So we ought to live like it. Hold your ground. This stuff down here is passing away. Hold your ground. Why? Because we belong, we're, we're part, we're citizens of a heavenly city. Number two, our, same verse number 20, our Lord is coming back for us. What do you, what do you mean? You ought to hold fast. Why? Because our Lord's coming back for us. Listen, one day trumpet's going to blast. I don't know what it's going to sound like. It's going to be loud. And the, we're going to look up and the Lord is going to be in the clouds and I want you to think for just a minute about how you want to be found if I think about my life for a minute there have been some times and I was in some situations and some conditions that I thank God he didn't come back that day Can it, I mean I may be the only one in here that's like that but I'm telling you there's some spots if he'd come back my goodness and I would not want to be found that way so my question for you is how do you want to be found if tomorrow is the day and the trumpet blasts how do you want to be found compromising the confession that Jesus is Lord at your workplace? Sitting on the good news while the people around you are dying and going to hell and groping in darkness and misery without Christ? How do you want to be found? How do you want to be found? I don't know about you, but I want to be found. Paul said back in what he just said, I want to, I want to be found forgetting the past, what's behind me, and pressing on today and living for that goal of the upward calling, uh, the prize that is in Christ Jesus, that God would be glorified today. And if he doesn't come back today and I wake up, I'm thinking he's going to come back tomorrow, and I want to be busy serving him, okay? Busy living for him, busy spending time with him. Wouldn't it be great if he came back and there you are sitting at your Bible early in the morning? 
And there you were, you, got, you were found when he came back and you're spending time with the king. My goodness. So our Lord is coming back. Well, to hold fast because he's coming back. All right, hold your ground. And then number three, finally, we will be made like him. Now, I need everybody in the room to look up. Okay? Listen to me. It never fails. As many times as I have taught this biblical principle, somebody that I have had the opportunity to teach will say, Uncle so-and-so got their angel wings. Now, please don't laugh because that is, it's not laughable because Jesus didn't die to make you an angel. He died to make you like him. Perfect in every way. You're not going to be downgraded to an angel. Is anybody with me? Listen, you and I were made in the image of God. Angels were not. And we're going to be made again, right, when we die or he comes back in the air. Uh, Well, let me read it. Y'all, some of y'all looking like, I don't know if that's true or not. All right, let's read. Uh, He goes on to say in verse 21, who will transform our lowly body. Anybody here know that you've got a lowly body? Uh, Now, I'm not talking about short. I'm talking about lowly in the fact that it's not holding up. And if I knew I was going to live this long, I would have learned how to put the switch on medium. But all I've ever known how to do is put it on high. And go full speed. And boy, it's cost me. I've got some pain. Anybody wake up with some pain this morning? Anybody have right now in this room, in this comfortable air-conditioned room, in that padded chair, experiencing pain? Raise your hand. Look around the room. Now hold it up. Look around the room. Lowly bodies. Lowly bodies. Right? Mr. Nay, Brother Jimmy's wife, just had, a, a, had to have a new hip put in. You know why? Lowly body. They wear out. Parts wear out. Why? He said they would. The outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. So, we ought to hold our ground because, listen to what he says. I'm going to read it. I'm trying not to get too excited because you've got to land the plane. It's hard to do that when you're shouting. Verse 21, who will transform our lowly body. There's that word transform again. We've been hearing that a lot lately. Who will transform our lowly body that it, our body, may be conformed to his glorious body. Oh, I'm not going to have angel wings. I'm going to be transformed to be like, not Gabriel, not an angel, but I'm going to be transformed to be like who? Jesus. I'm going to be. When you, when, you, when you talk about your loved one, if you know they were born again, at least best you can, you ought to say they were made like Jesus today. Get no angel wings, all right? He is able even, listen, let me read, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able. So it's according to his power and his ability What kind of ability does Jesus have? It's unlimited. According to his ability even to subdue which things? To himself. Meaning this. He said you're going to be like him. So you're going to be like him. He's able to do it. He's going to do it. Because he's king of kings and lord of lords. And no one can oppose him. Verse number 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, so because of all of that, my beloved and longed for brother, now the imperative, what we're called to do, my joy and my crown. What is all of that leading us to do? Stand fast. Or we said it like this. Hold your ground. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Hold your ground. Hold your ground. Listen, some of us right now, the push has gotten so hard, I can hear the sound of your feet, your shoes, your tennis shoes sliding across the ground. Temptation has come. Worldly views have come. Friends have given you advice. People at work have put pressure on you. And because of all of that, man, they are, there's a great threat in your life that you're about to be moved. 
and God brought you out here in the middle of nowhere or put this podcast in front of you or put you in front of a computer screen or a phone or tablet to tell you, do not be moved. Be reminded who you are and whose you are. Well, I want you to think for a minute about the fact that there needs to be some patterns. You've got to listen. That's something you ought to be actively doing. And that's a prayer thing. God, help me to see men, guys, women, ladies, who are a good pattern for me to follow. Not just talk to talk, because that's easy. But when you talk to their families, who they are behind closed doors, when you talk to their coworkers and their friends, it's who they really are. By the way, who you are behind closed doors, that's who you are, not who you are in here. Find you some good pattern. Ask the Lord right now. Just pray right now. <clears throat> God, show me some good patterns to follow. Somebody ought to be praying. God, help me be a good pattern. Help me be a good pattern to follow. Second, we ought to know that they're actual enemies. Lord, remind me that not everybody who says they are, are. Remind me that not every preacher is a good preacher. That every person I hear, every voice that's on the internet, or I shouldn't just, just listen to. Help me to identify those. Help me not to be one of those. God, help me hold my ground because I've got a great future coming. Aren't you glad you're just passing through? Aren't you thankful tonight you're just passing through? Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, aren't you glad it's temporary? Come on, somebody. I wish somebody here to say, hallelujah, I'm so thankful what I'm going through is only temporary. I am so glad, if nobody else in the room is, I'm so glad that what I'm going through will not last forever. It's temporary. So let's hold our ground. Would you ask the Lord, help me hold my ground? Jesus paid for it. It's a sweet spot of ground. Help me by the power of the Spirit. Hold my ground. Feed me by your word so I'm able to hold my ground. Dig my feet down into the soil that nothing can push me left and right. None of these things would move me. Now, if you're here tonight, you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. It's not too late. You may right now in your chair... Riding down the road at the nurse's station there in the ICU, wherever you find yourself today. Maybe you, a weeks from now, have stumbled upon this. Somebody told you about a podcast, and right now the Holy Ghost of God has got you. I mean, He's got you, and He's wrestling you down. And the purpose that He wants is to win the battle, and you surrender, wave the white flag, and you to be saved. Saved from the power of sin, saved from the penalty of sin, given purpose and forgiven of all your sin. Jesus Christ can do that. He's the only one who can. He bled and died and rose again. Tonight, if you'll confess him as Lord, if you'll turn from your own self and turn into him, he'll save you. Father, take this time of response and do whatever you want, God. Do whatever you want in our hearts. I pray that people would be at these altars praying or asking others to pray for them. So as we have opportunity, Lord, let us to come. Let us to be obedient. Whatever you're saying to us, let us do. God, I pray if somebody's wrestling with salvation, they would settle in their heart tonight. They can't be saved twice, but they must be saved once. So, Spirit, would you move now? Would you please move? In Jesus' name.